The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Hey, hey, hey. But if y'all waiting on me to apologize, hell gonna oh, freeze. Wait. <laughs> Tonight at the main event, what do we have? Who do we have? You know what it is. It's Taco Tuesday. It's another edition of the Points in the Paint podcast presented by Stadium Ben Wittenstein and Zach Badger House. Zach, this is uh, what, episode five or six with us in quarantine, something like that? I've lost count. Yeah, it's something like that. I've definitely lost count and I'm actually tired of counting. I'll be happy when this is all over. (laughs) I'll be so happy. As as will I. We're going to have a special guest on the show, Michael Rizzo. Our colleague, coworker, friend from uh, from Stadium is going to be joining us a little bit later on in the show to uh, talk everything about the Last Dance. Michael Jordan, he had a very good Last Dance thread on Twitter. Uh, if you want to follow him on Twitter as well, Michael Rizzo. But um, Zach, there's stuff going on in the NBA, and, and amazingly, um, I'm always worried that we're not going to have enough stuff to talk about, and that is always not the case every time we come back and, and do a show like this because there is just constantly things happening with the NBA. And we have a new segment we want to get to and all of that. Michael Jordan stuff, the documentary, everything like that. But uh, let's start with some of the first things that we want to do with the big three. The big three. Uh, And we'll start with the first of the big three. And there was some news with the NCAA and the NBA where they talked about uh, that they are going to indefinitely be postponing that June 3rd early entry withdrawal date for prospects. So in the the past, if college players uh, declared for the draft, they went through the whole process. If they were told that they weren't going to be good enough to be drafted by teams, they would be able to come back and play uh, in the NCAA again. So what the NBA is doing is they're postponing that deadline, which I think the first reaction to this would be that probably means that the NBA draft is going to be pushed back. Yeah, we'll probably be pushing back the NBA draft, too, as well. And for those who may not understand, you know, what Ben may have just said with the whole NCAA and NBA being postponed and what that actually means is, you know, the college underclassmen would need to withdraw their names by the end of a certain uh, time period for be, you know, eligible in the NCAA if they want to come back to school, if they feel like their draft stock is, isn't as high as they may have hoped so. And that typically falls 10 days after what would have been the NBA draft combine, too, as well. And so uh, that kind of news really doesn't come as a shock because we all know that this pandemic has put so much things, you know, on a delay. <laughs> yes, it has. Yeah. So it's kind of at this point, it seems pretty, uh, pretty obvious that something like this was going to happen. Um, and you look at kind of the way everything in the NBA has been going. They still haven't, you know, technically postponed this, the rest of the regular season that they stopped in March. So there's still a chance that we could see some more NBA basketball, but Again, we just have no idea. Something like this with this pandemic with, you know, some states opening back up, some states saying closed up. We just don't know what the NBA is is going to decide. But 
with something like this, I think it's a good indicator, at least, that we know the draft is going to be moved back. And as we mentioned in past episodes, it's probably going to be moved back to August, which is what a lot of teams are looking for. I mean, they need they need times to kind of take a step back and at least look at these prospects without having to worry about either regular season, coaching changes and everything starting up. So I think it's I mean, it's a good move at this point. Yeah, it's definitely going to be a good move, but it's going to be a tough situation because of like all the if I guess what I've been thinking about, Ben, for me is like all the foreign players and getting them over here and like all the like the new kid that's kind of come over and play in the G League, uh, Kai Soto, I believe that's his name. And uh, with him coming over, you know, that puts a lot of different things in question, too, as well. You got LaMelo Ball. He's he was in New Zealand. And Archie Hampton was overseas. And then there's going to be a top five guy with, by the name of, if I can remember his name correctly, and I don't want to say it wrong either. But if I'm not mistaken, he, he's a guy that's projected to go. Danae Avdija, if I'm saying it correctly. And he's a uh, he's out of uh, Israel. And so like that's another guy that's, that's currently overseas and is going to have to be able to be tested out here and to see where he's going to rank in terms of NBA combine and, you know, all the drills and everything else. And so this puts this pandemic puts us like at stake of different players and where they may fall and where they may end up because of, you know, they may not be able to be seen or get the uh, proper you know requirements necessary to be, you know, a top prospect in the NBA. Yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting to see how how this all works out for them, because I mean, that's a, that they really it's interesting because the NBA hasn't really made any huge decisions for anything. I mean, they've talked, they've postponed. This has been a lot they of postponement. Yep. Yeah, they haven't canceled it. The draft is still technically on for June 25th. The NBA season still hasn't been canceled. So they haven't really made any big decisions yet. And I'm guessing by the end of the month um, of May, we'll probably see some decision made. And it kind of seems like it'll be the domino effect, right? If they do cancel the NBA season, they will probably push back the NBA draft. They'll push back when prospects can withdraw from the NBA draft. They'll push back um, every time that these prospects can go and train where they used to have it in Chicago, the combine, and they're going to be pushing that back as well. So it's going to be a domino effect at some point towards, I'm guessing, the end of this month where we'll see the NBA make a decision on one thing and it'll lead to the decisions on some of these smaller events um, that are going to be impacted by that initial decision. Maybe it's about the season or maybe it's about the season as well. well. I mean, at this point, we just don't know. Yeah, we don't. But the only thing we can do is just keep waiting and seeing, you know, there. And that's one thing about the NBA that I guess I'm I'm happy about, too, Ben, is that they've been progressive. You know, there hasn't been any standstill or like any, you know, misdirection or anything like that as it relates to trying to keep things on keep things intact, you know, despite this pandemic that's taking place. And so I got to commend Adam Silver. And, you know, he's been trying to do his due diligence to keep this uh, season going and keep it full. But uh, we just don't know. You know, we have to just really just, you know, wait and see. But I like the next topic in the big three. The big three. You know, in the right, it is, it is kind of in the right direction of having this NBA season back. And that's Adam Silver. You know, he told he told players that, you know, it's safer for two locations whether it's Disney World or even in Las Vegas, as possibility of where they can return the NBA season. So I think that's progressive. I think it could possibly work. I mean, I don't know how many. I guess I never really thought about how many people could actually be at Disney World at one time. So I guess for you, Ben, like, how would you assess that? I think it's I mean, I think it's a good move at this point. The more that you can restrict travel for these players, I think, is the right move. So keeping them in one location or two locations. 
I think is the smart decision just the less these the players and, and the players' families and the coaches and everyone move around, the less likely it is that they probably catch something or bring something somewhere else. So it, it seems to me that the logical step for them to continue the season, if they didn't want to cancel it, were, what was to be having the rest of the season in Disney World or in Vegas, just in, in one spot where they could stay for a month or two, stay away from people, socially distanced, don't have to travel, don't have to use airplanes, um, and they could just stay there and, and play out the rest of the season. Now, will the players agree to that, maybe being away from their families for that long? I'm not sure. I don't know if they have a choice in agreement or not for something like that, but it seems to me that if they were to continue the season, that would be the best course of action to do it. I think so, too. And, you know, you brought up the families. I think they've been around their families for quite some time, a little bit earlier than they probably expected to be because of the NBA season being the way that it is. But I'm pretty sure they're itching and dying to get back on the hardwood and finish this season, especially teams that are really in like, you know, title contention. And if, you know, those who are favored to go to the NBA finals or at least be those top four teams, you know, the Los Angeles Lakers, the Clippers, the Bucks or even uh, the Boston Celtics to each his own out in the East. And so, like, these different teams that were competing to, you know, at a high level to be in a championship uh, conversation, I think they're all just, you know, itching to get back out there and just be. Oh, for sure. Yeah, just be out there. You know, I know they're itching to just be back out there on the floor. I mean, think about LeBron. LeBron. Yeah, yeah well, that's the LeBron. first player that comes to mind is, like, LeBron. Like, LeBron is, especially after seeing this Jordan documentary, I know he's really itching to get back out there. <laughs> yeah, some, I mean, think about it. He's. He's getting up there in years too. He doesn't. He his clock is is ticking for okay. in terms of his body and how how long he's able to play. So having this huge delay in the season has got to be killing him. Went like that. Went like you said. That window is definitely closing on him. And then it's gonna it's gonna it's gonna take guys like Anthony Davis to resign and step up and be that guy. You know, down the stretch in LeBron James' career. If if this uh you know season has to be canceled, you know we pray and we just hope that it doesn't. But if it does, you know, that's just another added season on that body of LeBron James that he uh, that we all have to consider moving forward with him. Yeah, it's, it's another season that was literally worthless, too. If, if there's no ending, if there's no championship run, I mean, this was Lakers were a pretty good favorite to win the title this year. And they were now LeBron, if they do cancel it, he's not going to have probably as good of a chance as he had this year. Who knows? what's going to happen to free agency and trades and, and everything like that. Yeah, but we know right now that that Lakers team was built for a pretty good finals run. And now if they, if they do do something with the season, it's going to be all for nothing. So, I mean, that's why I think a big majority of us are hoping that they do bring the season back in at least some form. Maybe it's just the playoffs. Yeah, we just Even if the it's outcome. just the playoffs in there. Yeah. We need some type of outcome. We have to have some type of results, you know, so it has to be something There has to be some sort of results into this and like I said like even even Giannis you know out east you know he hasn't played basketball we've talked about that he hasn't been able to go to a gym and I know Giannis has been itching and crawling just dying to get on the basketball floor because he hasn't been able to, to have access to one because of this pandemic so you know that team being a best team in the east of Milwaukee Bucks you know having that great record out there what was their record coming into before the pandemic what 53 and 12 28 and 3 at home so they had like a phenomenal record so far this year and you know to have Giannis be stopped and he was in full MVP mode looking to possibly win back-to-back MVPs and to not even have that be in the conversation or in the picture either you know that's going to be tough too yeah and there is some good news which brings us to our third topic of the big three the big three 
And that good news is that some of these facilities are starting to reopen. Yeah, I did see that. And particularly uh, the latest one that I've seen was the Los Angeles Lakers. Los Angeles Lakers have decided to open up their uh, practice facility. Few players were allowed to only, you know, do individual workouts and, you know, hey, coaches weren't involved or anything like that. So they can't oversee right. the players or oversee the sessions or anything like that. And, you know, obviously they got to be uh, physically distant from each other and two as well while they're at the UCLA Health Training Center in, uh, out there in L.A. Yeah, it's big. I think that's a big first step to at least get some of these players back in training. And I think it helps if they were to restart the season, it's going to help kind of uh, take down, restrict some of the time that they would need to get back into shape. You know, if you if you do start the season, you're going to need to give them, what, two or three weeks to yeah, get back into shape. Definitely but if some it. of these teams are holding workouts, that may lower the amount of time that they need for that. That's very true. But that, that brings me to this point right here that I actually thought about, because if the Los Angeles Lakers, if they can have their own, you know, practice facility be open and they share a stadium, not not a practice facility, but they share the same stadium as the Los Angeles Clippers. Wouldn't that mean that the Los Angeles Clippers will be able to have access to their own practice facility, too, as well? I mean, that that's something that automatically came to my mind and my thought process once I saw that, OK, LeBron James could have, you know, access to a practice facility. But that also means that a guy like Kawhi Leonard and Paul George and, you know, Los Angeles Clippers, Doc Rivers and his ball club, they should also be able to have that same access. So I don't really want necessarily one team to have more of an advantage over over the other in the same city, if that makes sense. <laughs> well, no, yeah, that, that's city. understandable. And it's it's I mean, what are these teams that are in states that still have tight restrictions on movement and what can open? What are they going to be doing? And that's that's the really interesting part. And I know Mark Stein, he, he had a tweet uh, last night about teams that are going to be opening their facilities. We're recording this on Monday. And he said these are the NBA teams that have either opened their facilities or are going to be open on Monday. And it's a pretty good list. Um, you got Cavaliers, Trailblazers, Nuggets, Grizzlies, Heat, Magic, Bucks, Raptors, Hawks, Pacers, Jazz, Kings, Lakers, Clippers, Rockets, Pelicans. That's that's a pretty good amount of teams. That's 17 of the 30 teams in the NBA, they're going to be able to open their facilities and work out. But I mean, as a Bulls fan, I'm looking at that and saying, well, the Bulls aren't able to do that yet. <laughs> Illinois restrictions don't allow them to go and open up their facilities. So, I mean, some of these teams are still not able to get in and practice. Yeah. Some teams aren't able to, but at the same time, you said 17 of those 30. Now, now we can even shrink that number as well. How many of those teams of the 17 teams are actually playoff teams today? Right. You know, so like some of those, I think you mentioned the Cleveland Cavaliers. They're not in the playoffs. No. You, you mentioned the Pelicans. They're not in the playoffs. Um, the Portland Trailblazers, they're not in the playoffs. So you mentioned some of these teams who aren't in the playoffs versus some of the teams who may be currently in the playoff standings right now. And on top of that, you know, not not only just uh, them being playoff contention, but the teams that are not the team. Wait, no, the teams that are in playoff contention the ones that don't have their access to the practice facility, what are they going to do, right? So, like, that that's something to be in question, too, as well. Now, you mentioned the Chicago Bulls, but they're kind of not in the playoff contention right now, so I think uh, Zach Levine and those boys will be fine. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we need we need the guys to come back and, and at least work out. We don't want them to be just totally useless next season. We need them to that's get in the true. gym and no, get some true. shots up. He also <laughs> said the Thunder were one of those teams that were opening their practice facility. So, on, on my count, I think that's 11 of the 17 teams or playoff contenders that are opening up. So that's good. That's yeah. I mean, at this point, if you're in the playoffs, you should be able to go and work out. If you're not in the playoffs, no. 
you're not going to play the rest of the season. It's just an early vacation. Yeah, it's just, just look at it as an early, you know, early vacation. You know, it started a Certainly, little early for you. Yeah, at least, you know, it's a little bit of good news. We have some of these these places back and opening up. So that's the hope is that eventually these guys will all, all 30 teams will be able to get back in their practice facilities and be able to work out and be able to get back into game shape for the season to resume with whatever form they decide the regular season to resume. And hopefully it's ASAP. We hopefully listen, it gotta be. So Disney world, you know, whatever we got to do, Las Vegas, whatever we have to do to do that, Let's get it done. I'm I'm more excited about the idea of it being in Disney World than Las Vegas because Disney World just seems more friendlier. It just seems more it just seems more friendlier to have the NBA at a venue like Disney World. Yeah, um, like Mickey Mouse is the yeah, mascot yeah, for the yeah, game. Exactly. Like you got Mickey Mouse, you got Goofy, you know, you got everything else going on at Disney. You got ESPN that's through Disney, so like, you know, yeah, they'll right. be able to do the games the way that they can the best of their abilities too. That'd probably be easier for them as well. So yeah, I think it'll be a good time to have it at if Disney world. Listen, if it's going to be at Disney world, at the very least, the court needs to look cool. You know, you're seeing some of these teams with really cool court designs. If it's, if it's Disney, they need to shell out the money to make a really cool looking basketball court. You know what? I didn't even think about that. That'd be actually pretty dope. It'd be, it'd be kind of interesting to see like, what would they do for the bat for like the court too, as well. And like, Ooh, the, Ooh, no, the halftime. The stuff that will take place at halftime of these games. But we, we don't even know. We wouldn't even have a halftime show because of the coronavirus. So we don't even know. But the thought of it would be, a, you know, pretty dope, too, as well. Uh, listen, they, they're Disney. That, that's their thing is entertaining. It needs You need to have a good yeah. halftime show. That would exactly. be ridiculous. <laughs> All right, so we're going to go to a new topic that we have. We're going to be doing this, uh, I guess, because it's five positions. It's the next five weeks. Um, we're going to be throwing it back from the uh, to the 2000 and to 2010 era, that 10 year era from 20, 2010. Turning it back. And what we're going to do is every week, starting today, we're going to name our favorite player from that era at each position. So it's going to be point guard, next episode shooting guard, next episode small forward, then power forward center. Uh, maybe we can even do sixth man and and make it six weeks long. You know what? I like that. Yeah. But my, ooh, or coach see, or something like that. Six man. I like C. We'll figure it out. Jamal Crawford, I think, would be the answer that everyone would give anyway. But, you know what? You're right, but we might have to play those <laughs> advocates somewhere along the line. I don't know. We've got to wait and see, though. Yeah, we'll have to get in the lab, do some research. Um, but, yeah, so let's we'll, – and we'll ask, again, when we have Rizzo on, we'll, we'll ask him who his favorite – See, the thing is, when you brought this up, is it is it favorite player in that position from that era, or is it how what we think is the best player in that position? How do you, how do you see, see us doing this? See, your favorite, and like just the one that you like admired. So like the one that you just like, oh, he's good. You know, the one that you just admired the most. Just how, it could be your favorite. Doesn't have to have, doesn't have to necessarily be the best point guard or position by that. You know, you know that week, whatever uh, the case may be, you know, shooting guard is going to be next week or the next time we do the pod. And so, yeah, you know, whichever just guard for this podcast that you just enjoyed the most, you know, from that era, you know, that 2000, 2010 peak, you know, before the young guys became like the older vets now in today's game, you know, before the, the Russell Westbrooks, you know, before the Derrick Rose, you know, those guys kind of came in towards the end of the decade, you know, around 2008 and 2009. So the guys that were drafted maybe, you know, 98 
or, you know, from 98 to like 2005, you know, those point guards that were drafted, you know, who were those guys, who stood out to you the most or had the you know, biggest impact for you, you know, watching the game of basketball. Yeah. I, and listen, this, I may be biased and I, you talked about this in our last episode, but I mean, <laughs> I think 2000 to 2010 in the NBA had some of the most fun players that we have ever seen in the league. Some of the most fun, most exciting like most competitive, like I think most of the for me and my in my generation of watching basketball, that's like the most competitive uh, point of basketball for me was that that decade from 2000 to 2010. Now, of course, you know, a team like L.A., the Lakers, they dominated. They won what five out of <laughs> they won five out, yeah, of, right. out of ten. And then you got the San Antonio Spurs and they were able to win what three, three championships in that decade, too, as well. And so. You know, you got two teams dominating most of the decade, but there were some teams out east who had, you know, good runs and, you know, had great talent, you know, across the board. You look at, you know, Detroit Pistons going to seven or eight straight Eastern Conference finals. You know, you got you got LeBron going 67 and 15 in 2007, you know, the best record in Cleveland history. So there were different times in that in that decade where it was just some great basketball. It was also the decade of super baggy shorts, just the worst <laughs> shorts. I mean, they, they were almost long pants for some of these guys. Yeah, especially the, guards, especially the guards that we're going to talk about. The guards yeah. we're going to talk about, they definitely had their moments of wearing the baggy, the baggy jersey and the baggy, <laughs> the baggy shorts, for it sure. It was amazing. That, I mean, that was just the most wild NBA. I never understood how they were able to like dribble the ball between their legs or do anything <laughs> without like tripping on each other. And that that could be another episode segment. We just look at the 2000 to 2010 NBA style because now it's going back. We're like OG on an OB. We see some of these guys going back to the short shorts. Yep. They put the Daisy Dukes on. <laughs> <laughs> the Daisy Dukes. That's that'll, be, that'll, be a, that'll be a new, uh, that'll be an episode in the future. We'll do NBA style for sure. But for this one, all right, point guard. And you said you knew what I was going to say for my top point guard from 2000 to 2010. I do. Um, and so I, I can go first if you'd like. And see yeah, you go first. Um, and there, uh, there's obviously so many to pick from. I could pick, I could have picked Derrick Rose, um, even though he only played what two, two years in that era, mm-hmm. in that decade. Um, there's so many good ones, but the one that I grew up loving, the one who I grew up trying to emulate so poorly, and so the one poorly. that I just <laughs> watched every single game that he played. My guy, Steve Nash. I told you I would know without question the guy you were going to choose. I knew it. I, I absolutely 110% did. When I tell you, I woke up this morning and I thought about a, I thought about our podcast. I said to myself, he's going to pick Steve Nash. <laughs> and it's cliche as, it gonna, as it's going to be because that's, that's who Ben is. He's going to have a reason. Like, he's going to have valid reasons as to why. Because you know, yes. back-to-back MVPs. I mean, I'm going to let you tell it. You, know, you tell me well, why. No, you said a back-to-back MVPs. The guy was a tremendous passer, led the league in assists multiple times. He scored from the three-point line. He scored at the free-throw line, 50-40-90 um, type of guy. Um, but, again, as a, as a white guy who was about six feet growing up and didn't have the ability <laughs> to score the ball like I could, I could really only pass it. Steve Nash was my freaking hero for that. So he was just super fun to watch. I wanted to grow my hair long because of Steve Nash and the way he, you know, he brushed his hair behind his ears every time he hit a three pointer. Just he, that was like the Michael Jordan 
um, like <laughs> shrug or the Michael Jordan, like sticking out his tongue was Steve Nash putting his hair behind his ears after like he hit a big three pointer or something like that. So I, I just love it. It's so crazy because he would do the hair thing like while dribbling the ball. Like he'd be coming to the court like just full for it. He would just stop and just like fix his hair, dribble drive, pick a roll, Amari Stoudemire, alley-oop. Like it would be crazy. But no, I, uh, Steve Nash was the amazing. The teammates that he had was amazing too. Oh. Marion, Stoudemire, he played with Dirk. He he was stacked with great teammates. Oh, yeah. Out in Dallas, it was Michael Finley. Dirk Nowinski, Jerry Stackhouse. Yeah, that was, yeah, those Dallas teams were pretty good. And then he goes to Phoenix and, be, and wins back-to-back MVPs out in Phoenix with Amari Stoudemire, like we mentioned, Sean Marion, Raja Vale, Barbosa, Boris Diaw. Just an all-around yeah, all amazing team. I think they were, like, first seed, like, at least twice out east. I mean, out west, too, as well, like, during those stretches and during those runs. So, yeah, just a ton of talent surrounding Steve Nash to make his life easy, scoring his 16 to 18 a night, getting his 12 assists. So, yeah, I love Steve Nash, too. But he didn't crack my honorable mention, but that's okay, because I still know. Wow. No, it's it's okay, because Steve Nash still is a stellar point guard. He's still one of the, the, you know, stellar point guys in the NBA, you know. He he led the... the, um... Yeah, he led the league in assists three years in a row. And, I mean, you talked about going back and watching highlights. If you watch Steve Nash's highlights, they are incredible. I mean, the, the guy just knew a basketball basketball court front and back. He knew how to go through a defense, and he knew where his teammates were at all times, even uh-huh, before the defense. Back, <laughs> it is amazing. And the thing is, for me, it was I'm – not, I'm not sure who you're going to pick, but for me it was between Steve Nash and, and Allen Iverson, but – I mean, we could even say AI was a shooting guard. Like, yeah, you could say AI was a shooting guard. So that's why I never really, you know, I never really say AI was a point guard because Eric Snow was the one bringing it up. But right. we all knew, like, Allen Iverson was the pound-for-pound pound guard for the 76ers, you know, during his time. Yeah, so it's, we'll save him. We'll save him for, for shooting guard. But for me, point guards, man, listen. <laughs> like, my guy. He's one, of my, he's one of my favorite players, too, though. So, like... There may be a little bit of bias in that, but maybe not. You know, that's 10-time, and that's 10-time All-Star, six-time steel champion, nine-time All-Defense, you know, All-Star MVP in 2012-2013, or eight-time All-NBA, Rookie of the Year 2005-2006 season, and that's none other than CP3, Chris Paul. That's my man. It's like pots and pans right there, man. Like Chris <laughs> Paul, I swear to you, Ben, Chris Paul, from day one, like, he just worked hard from the beginning. Like, the smallest dude on the court. And he just worked. He was everywhere. He was a pest. Like, when I say, you know, six-time steel champ, like, he was a defensive pest. Like, he was everywhere on the court. Like, he would get – he would strip the ball from from all the bigs and during his time. Like, he'd be so small. Like he'd just get all the steals. And he phenomenal passer, obviously. And he, you know, he led this team in scoring before, you know. And he was a f- second – Next to Kobe in 2008-2009 to, to almost win MVP. So he was right there to win MVP with none other than Kobe being Bryant. And so that at that time, you know, this is what, 2008-2009, and Chris Paul was getting the job done. And I feel like Chris Paul got a lot of bad heat when he started getting hurt a lot. And well, with the Los Angeles Clippers, with him and Blake Griffin, it was either him or Blake Griffin at that time, who would always get hurt come playoff time in the playoff stretches, you know, with that team. But man, Chris Paul, Lob City, or just him being, you know, MVP caliber point guard in a New Orleans uh, Hornets uniform, spectacular. 
he was he was super fun to watch. I mean, he was kind of on that level of Steve Nash in terms of how cool his passing was and his vision. And I mean, he he was just an incredible athlete who was able to just get anywhere he wanted on a court, even though he was six foot on a good day. And you know, he was just day. an incredible person. <laughs> he said on a good day. But yeah, I mean, he just had the ability to just score at all three levels, too. And he shot well from the field. And then the crossover, man, he stayed putting guys in the spin cycle. The young Chris Paul, oh my gosh, man. He, yeah, he was dirty. Break down a defense by himself. Throw it up to Tyson Chandler. Man, that Tyson Chandler, look, that Tyson Chandler connection with Chris Paul, man, it used to be so good. Definitely used to be so good. And then he used to feed David Robinson out on the wing, kick it out. Man, he just was, he had eyes in the back of his head, too, just like Steve Nash, man. So, like I said, all the accolades that he's been able to receive, you know, four time assist champ. He's led the league in assists four times, you know, back to back two times. So that's pretty dope, too. And, you know, like I said, Chris Paul, man. That's my guy. But, you know, my honorable mentions, though, man, Baron Davis, that's my dude. Mm-hmm. You know, and then the head-to-head matchup with Darren Williams and Chris Paul. And Darren Williams somehow would just always have the better he, – he'd win the game, but Chris Paul might have a better performance. But, like, Darren Williams will always win the game. Hearing him, Carlos Boos, or Andre Karolinko and those boys back then at that time, and they would always have the better – a better game overall they would always win the game but Chris Paul came to play and Darren Williams would come to play too and then you know like I said Baron Davis but my other honorable mention I think is going to be talked about from our actual from our actual guest that we're going to have Mr. Rizzo I think he's going to agree with one of my honorable mentions too as one of his favorite guards so we'll have to see what he says then and then you can bring it up Looking forward to that a little teaser but... right there <laughs> hey but we'll go to our next segment um at this point, before we before we talk to to Rizzo, and that is overreaction. Or no. Or no. <laughs> I know you've waited on me to do that. <laughs> I knew exactly what you were gonna do. Um. So what's our overreaction? So, Michael Jordan, MJ, Black Jesus, Black Cat. But I've heard so many nicknames over the course of this ten week period of Michael Jordan. It's not even funny. <laughs> yeah, that's wild. But, but Michael Jordan, the goat. Is that an overreaction at this point? Oh, see, we could have a whole other episode that's an hour long talking about who's <laughs> who's the greatest of all time. And he, the thing is, it's again, it's kind of how you define the whole thing. And we can get into this forever and ever. But do you define it as the greatest player in terms of accolades? Because Jordan has that. Or is it the greatest player in terms of ability and size and athleticism and stature and it's hard not to give that to LeBron James so I my answer when anyone someone says this is I would think it's kind of how you define the greatest of all time Mm -hmm. because I think LeBron and and Michael are the greatest of all time in their own separate ways and which is seeming a, a huge cop out of a thing to say but I just don't know if there's any other way to say that LeBron is in an NBA lab he is the perfect looking NBA player with the perfect skills and the perfect ability. But then you have Michael Jordan who has all the accolades and the stats and the MVPs in the finals. So I just, you just can't give it to one person. I don't think, you know, it's so tough. It's so tough, Ben. And I've been looking at it like this. This is the only way I can describe it for you, Ben. LeBron James is the greatest player I ever seen play basketball. The greatest player that I've ever seen play basketball. But Michael Jordan, <laughs> They're probably the greatest player to ever play basketball. <laughs> now I don't know. I hope that 
Now, I hope that makes sense to you because, like, Michael Jordan is literally, like, he's one of one. Like, there's no, there's literally no one like him. Like, you know, rest in peace to great Kobe Bryant, but it's not even close. Like, it's still not close because you, you have to do so much more. You have to, he had to exert so much more to still end up, you know, five and two, only winning five out of seven times. Where it's like Michael Jordan, six for six, and he exerted so much, and he he expected so much from his teammates, you know, and he raised their he raised their level of game, you know, and LeBron has done that too, but the results just has never been you know, completed, you know, all the way. You know, LeBron has been to the finals nine times, but he's only won it three times. And he has lost six times where Michael Jordan has won six times. So the six times he's been, he's won every time. And he always looks at it as like, I'm never going to lose at the highest level. And LeBron has done that, you know, and I, and I hate it so much. Like, I hate, cause if you go through context and if you really look at it, like, you know, it's not always LeBron James fault when he loses, but that's not the case. And no one really cared. No one's going to really care about that at the end of the day. People want results. And at the end of the day, did you win or did you lose? And Michael Jordan was always a winner. Right. And that's, that's I don't think anyone's saying LeBron James isn't a winner, but I mean, that defined MJ was that he won. He won. He hit clutch shots. He won championships. He pees. He was just a pure winner. And I think that's what a lot of people look up to him for. I think that's why a lot of people really, really, like what he did in the NBA and and think that he is the greatest of all time is because he won. But in terms, it's just tough because you're like, how are you talking about who's better between MJ and LeBron? If they played one-on-one, LeBron James would murder him. He is bigger, stronger, faster, better. (laughs) You know, they had a poll that really had the nerve to say that, look, Michael Jordan will win in a one-on-one against LeBron James. Yeah, that that was this morning. I really Monday find morning. it, yeah, I really find it blasphemous to really, like, to really hear that. And, like, people always say, like, LeBron couldn't play back in the day. I laugh so hard at the idea of a guy, 6'8", 260 pounds, run a 4'4", 4'3", like, he is literally a gazelle, a man amongst boys. Like, forget yeah. the mentality and everything else. This this body frame specimen and to be able to do everything that he can do with at this size, like, are you kidding me? Are uh, you like it was? It's bad enough that LeBron, that Michael Jordan was a man amongst boys. Two weeks into this, his first NBA season, like literally two weeks, Michael Jordan was better than everybody already. Like within the first two weeks, he was right. he was better than everybody. Like literally already in '84. So like, what would you like? Could you imagine? Okay, '85, LeBron James, number three pick. <laughs> like, do you what? Like, are you serious? That like, I just like I he'd, like, he'd it, be pulling a. Yeah, he'd be pulling a Will Chamberlain every night, 100 points. <laughs> blows my mind. If Yeah, if LeBron, in his current form, if you just picked him up like in a claw machine <laughs> and dropped him in the 80s and 90s, murdered everyone. He, he would just dominate because he dominates now. And the players are bigger, stronger, and faster. It's, I mean, the, in terms of stature, it's there's no question who is the better player and who would be the preferred player in terms of that. So... That's why I just think the GOAT debate is it's tough when you don't make parameters. Yeah, there has to be some parameters. And it's like, and context does matter. Like, people could always say, well, like I said, like, it's all about the winning. Well, if you only talk about the winning, okay, well, that's fine. Okay, yeah, Michael Jordan, he's the GOAT. But 
look at LeBron James' body of work too. Like despite despite the losing, like look at what he has lost to. Like he made <laughs> eight straight finals with two different teams. That is absurd. Even that's, even even though he lost some of those eight straight finals appearances with two different teams. Yeah, that's like unheard of. Like who does that, right? Only a guy like LeBron James. And it and it's so funny because like if if LeBron James doesn't get hurt, like he probably will go again, like last season. And he was definitely probably gonna go this season because it looked pretty yeah, right. good. It looked pretty Man. good. It's just it's a debate that will never end, and because it's quarantine, everyone is rehashing it because it's fun to do, and we're bored. So I get it, but no, it's just never going to be decided unless LeBron plays another ten years and wins another five titles or something like that. It's just never going to be quashed. Yeah, I think that's the only way. He, that's the only way people actually ever like accept it or ever would like admit something of of that nature is of LeBron James being better than Michael Jordan as if he wins more, you know, but it's just so funny hearing that Michael Jordan wanted to come back and win number seven. That's just so hilarious to me. He was chasing seven. (laughs) He was chasing seven. He wanted seven, which brings us to the, uh, what is NBA Twitter talking about? MJ, of course. That's all it's been the past 10 weeks, every Sunday. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's been, it's been Michael Jordan, Michael Jordan, nineties bulls, People have been absolutely crapping on Isaiah Thomas and Jerry Krause. And it's just, it's been, the thing is, I don't know about you, but if this was aired originally when it was supposed to during the NBA finals, if the NBA finals was going on, I just don't know if we'd be talking about this documentary as much. I don't think people would be watching it as much. Why do you, why do you believe that though? So I think because everyone is quarantined and in their home with nothing to do, I think a, that gives people more time on a Sunday night to just, sit down and watch this. They don't have anywhere to go out to. They don't have anything to do except watch TV. Um, And I also think that if it was the NBA finals, at least you'd have the NBA finals going on. You have major league baseball going on. You'd have PGA going on. You'd have all these things going on NHL playoffs that would take away from people spending more time talking about a documentary than I think they would now. And people, people were talking about the documentary before it started airing. People were talking about it after it aired and days and days after I just think there is so much focus on this now because it's really the only big oh, sports yeah. thing that everyone watches. Yeah, in that in that case, yeah, absolutely. And then it brings so many it brings so many people like into it and different stories go out now because there's so many different routes in this uh documentary that it's gonna take you on. You get the you get the small details about Scotty Burrell and you know, Scotty Burrell looking soft towards Michael Jordan and his early earlier in his career. And you got Steve Kerr getting punched in the face, but then you find out like Steve Kerr went through something similar to Michael Jordan. You know, you find that out and how how they're kind of similar in ways because they both, you know, lost someone that were extremely close to them, you know, as it relates to family. It's just so many different things. Dennis, oh my gosh. Oh, I want a documentary on Dennis Rodman alone. Another one, actually, like, because they already have one. Like, he already has his own documentary, but he could literally have, like, another one. Oh, so, yeah. It's so crazy. He, he's, he's the most interesting person I mean, MJ's interesting, obviously, but Dennis Rodman, man, he had he has the most insane life. You you could do 15 hours on Dennis Rodman. The dude is so funny because, like, <laughs> he literally went on vacation <laughs> to go to Vegas for two days, like in the course of like yeah. a playoff series. <laughs> like what is going on? Like it's so he does ridiculous. not care. Yeah, no, he, it was so funny just to see like every little thing they had to put up with. 
like with uh <laughs> with Dennis Rodman, right? So like the color change, he married himself, his hair color, like he was just bananas out there. This dude went to go to wrestle. He went to go wrestle with he did. <laughs> in the middle of a finals run. <laughs> like could you imagine how social media would react if something like that was to take place in today's NBA? Oh my god. It would be <laughs> terrible. No no one would be able to do it. They would be kicked off the team. Kicked off the team, yeah. suspension. It'd be all sorts of mess. But with mess. social, oh, it would be it would be an amazing mess. I mean, it would be so fun to watch. The NBA is already entertaining, and then you add Draymond Green going to wrestle in the middle of a, a Warriors final run. <laughs> <laughs> it, it would be amazing. Out of all players, you pick. Uh, that's so that's so funny. You pick Draymond Green. Who would be another Patrick Beverly? No, I, I, yeah, probably Patrick. Well, Beverly. someone. Yeah, probably Patrick Beverly. But someone I know someone tweeted um, multiple times, at least during the Rodman episode, they were saying, you know, Draymond Green is or Dennis Rodman is what Draymond Green thinks he is. Oh, what it would like to be. Yeah, he already feels that like he's like the best rebounder like ever. And I feel like that's such a far stretch. Like, I mean, it's Dennis is up there. No, I know Dennis is for sure is up there. It's not better than Dennis. That's for sure. Dennis is up there. Because I've seen I've seen a stat line of Dennis where he's had countless and I mean countless twenty plus rebound games like it's yeah. like it's so ridiculous how many re- and like when you did you see like how he was describing like his efforts for like rebounding the basketball like he and like how he studies like that's like a science rebound like that's like scientific madness <laughs> like literally like that's like some mad genius like scientific like craziness to like how he was really describing like his efforts on how to rebound yeah so when jordan shoots and he misses it misses like this but when larry bird would miss it would spin and he would do this and like when when magic johnson would shoot the ball he would miss and i'm just looking at him like what it was it was so unbelievable to just hear him just like talk about the dynamics of just like his craft on the basketball floor as it relates to like rebounding the basketball it's so dope yeah, people, I mean, that was, he, he had it down to a science. He knew what he was talking about. And that was, I thought that was super fascinating because he, he knew his job and he knew how to do it just about as well as anyone has ever done it in the history of the NBA. And so, like, and then the different guards and, like, the thing, the little, no, what's so funny about Michael Jordan is the little things that would upset him. Oh, I didn't win MVP. Charles Barkley won. Okay, watch this. Like, what? Like, why can't somebody else win something, Mike? Why do you have to always win? <laughs> like, Mike got to win. He always feels slighted. Like, he just has to win everything, every single time. And I just don't understand that. It's like, Mike, there are other good basketball players in the NBA, too, now. Like, I mean, Carl Malone, when he won MVP, he was, like, uh, the second leading scorer in the NBA with, like, the best record out west, Mike. I mean, you got to spread the love. <laughs> <laughs> You got to spread the love, Mike, but, you know, that just pushed him. You know, that just shows, like, the competitive drive and the competitive nature that, you know, that he had, you know, coming into all these games that yeah, he was he in. He just, if he felt slighted in, in the littlest of moments, he would just use that, which is insane. It's like an insane thing for someone to do, but he was able to pull it off and make it constructive, I guess, where he just, whatever anger that a little small comment or slight made him, he'd turned it into winning NBA titles for some reason. He sure definitely did. He did it six times, and he was petty. That boy was petty, man. Oh, That's yeah. Like, like, Michael Jordan was petty. Like That's where he would fit in <laughs> a lot with the NBA today. Uh, he is so petty, man. It's not even he would, funny. 
I mean, that's the thing. If if social media was today and, and Jordan existed today, I mean, that would be that would have to be like the top thing he would be known for would be his pettiness because that's what the NBA is today. So many guys being petty, and that's not a that's I'm not upset about that. I think it's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, NBA drama. But he would just add to all of that NBA drama on social media, which would be amazing. That would be so fun to watch him just getting upset at someone like bumping him accidentally or subtweeting him. Do you imagine how many people would subtweet Michael Jordan and he would just have to go through all these subtweets to get mad? And then he would just go out there and drop 40. And then in the interview, he'd be like, oh, oh, look at that. James Harden was subtweeting me. So I I had to go out and drop 60 on him. (laughs) <laughs> quite no i mean his envy like everything with mike would probably be amplified times 100 via social media like it would just yeah. it would probably make it so much more worse because that's just so much attention in the moment right right then and there it's like well how will mike respond like it would just add so much added amplitude in terms of like pressure for michael jordan and that it would just only be successful in my eyes (laughs) he would only be successful for him absolutely i mean the thing is too and this is another topic for nba twitter is the michael jordan memes and every the the greatest idea they had in that documentary was giving him the (laughs) ipad and letting him react and just seeing his reactions because mj is a super emotional and and reactive person and an expressive person so you saw everything he was thinking on his face which made for amazing memes that are all over twitter now forever and always but the one that i don't like is particular though ben Particularly, though, Ben, is the one with uh, they're talking about Gary Payton. What Gary yes. Payton's talking. And Mike just act like Gary Payton couldn't get at least two wins while guarding him. Like, why he, could, he couldn't get two wins because Gary Payton made an emphasis on that. He's like, look, George Carl, Mike done told us up. He's been tearing us apart the first three games. I got to check it. Like, we got to scratch the whole defensive game plan. I'm guarding Mike. I got to make him. I got to tire him up. I got to do whatever I can. <sighs> Michael Jordan, so petty. I wasn't thinking about Gary. I had other things on my mind. <laughs> Come on, man. Like, what? You can't. So, so you just knew that you was going to win the NBA Finals on Father's Day in memory of your father who passed away. Like you just knew that that was just going to that was going to transpire. It's like, come on, man. Can, can somebody have something? I mean, they didn't. it's bad enough that they didn't win. But they only they got two W's at least. They got two at least. Like give them something, because I feel like you know Gary Payton, defensive player of the year. You know he held Mike under. He held Mike under his averages. You know people go check the context into that. Like he held Mike under forty percent shooting the basketball. He held him. It's only eleven percent shooting the basketball when guarded. When Gary Payton was guarding Michael Jordan, so it wasn't like Gary Payton was lying or anything. But no. you know he's never going to admit it. He would never admit it. No, he's just too competitive. Yep. Like, he's just too competitive. Great. Right. I mean, the memes, I love the memes. Jordan memes are always going to be great. And if anything, it, he did a great job with this documentary getting rid of the crying Jordan meme because now there's other more current Michael Jordan memes to focus on, even though that crying Jordan meme is – that's a top – 10 Twitter meme of all time. It might be like top five. <laughs> Especially when we're the national championship and he was, he was in the crowd. And one of my favorite tweets of all time was someone photoshopped everyone around Jordan with the sad Jordan face, except for Michael Jordan in the crowd. When, when oh. UNC lost, <laughs> it was, it was amazing. So uh, that was will so be one of my favorite memes. He was definitely 
not a very happy camper. <laughs> no, he was not. And the final thing we want to talk about NBA Twitter again involving Michael Jordan, but Channing Fry came out and he talked about um I believe he was talking about it on a podcast. He said people wouldn't want to play with Michael Jordan these days just because obviously how much of a of a terrible person he was in practice to some of his teammates and how he pushed a lot of people. He Channing Fry thinks a lot of NBA players these days wouldn't enjoy playing with him, wouldn't want to play with him. No, I just think a lot of people wouldn't tolerate what, you know, Michael Jordan uh, teammates tolerated in the nineties. Like they, they dealt with it. I mean, when you, when you're winning, but see Michael Jordan, he said it though. Like you wouldn't know anything about like a lot of, a lot of, a lot of things that I've done and a lot of sacrifices I've made because like, you're not a winner. You know, you got to be a winner to really understand, like, what he's trying to do and, like, what he's pushing these guys, to, you know, to be, to become, you know, winners, champions, you know. And he even emphasized it on a lot when, like, Tony Kukos got there, uh, Steve Kerr got there, and I believe another player got there. Like, they're on the Bulls now, and, you know, they're all happy, smiley, and he's – and Mike's like, no, you guys haven't been here, you know, for the first few championships, so, like, you don't get that privilege. Like, you got to earn – you know, some happiness on this team, some satisfaction on this team. Like you got to earn that. And so like, that's pivotal, you know, on the next, for the next three championships is being able to push those, those new faces on the Chicago Bulls teams to that, that first, you know, three P that they had trying to push them to have another one. Like Michael did that. Mike pushed these guys literally was pushing, punching, whatever he could to get the best, you know, out of, you know, the, uh, his teammates. And it'll be interesting to see, because we know Kobe kind of did the same thing in practice. Yeah. We know we know that he was hard on his teammates. He yelled at his teammates, things like that. But I think it'll be interesting to kind of see, you know, 10, 15 years down the road when people talk about LeBron James to see what type of person he was in practice. Because you you really don't get some of those stories of LeBron punching a guy or LeBron yelling and berating a teammate i mean the closest we've seen to him doing something like that was in the nba finals when he did that to jr smith on the court um but we, we just don't hear about that type of stuff from lebron yeah we don't but uh you know in that documentary for lebron james when it does decide to come out at like 2040 <laughs> whenever the uh, whenever the documentary comes out in 30 years yeah we'll be we'll definitely be ready and be able to dissect that too now, oh, man, that's going to be such a fun documentary when it comes out about LeBron. But it's, we're going to have to wait so long for it because, I mean, LeBron's going to play in at least another five years. And there's going to be more added stuff to his story. And then there are going to be people talking about him. It's it's going to be interesting. I can't wait because then that's when, you know, he'll have his five or six championships by then. And then we'll be able to really have that true conversation. Because that conversation is never going to die, at least until LeBron James' career is over with. As long as LeBron James is playing, he, like, that conversation will never die. You know, it's always going to be a debate. Because, like, LeBron individually is literally, like, tearing down every, you know, category in terms of, like, the numbers. And so, you know, you got to always keep that in, in mind. Like, you have to keep that in consideration, like, no matter what. And sure, people will say, well, he played more minutes than Michael. Well, that's durability. That's not his problem. Like, that's not... Like you can't you can't knock LeBron for being durable this long. Like that's actually a good thing. <laughs> yeah, no, that's yeah, that's that's more of a case for LeBron than anything else. The dude just he gets injured a little bit, but he just never stops. He he's there consistently every season. He's what has it been? I think he's played five or six extra NBA seasons just with postseason play, and that's that's, that's insane. Like that's ridiculous. Like a play, like playoffs alone, like that's ridiculous. But don't get me wrong, though. You know, Michael has obviously probably done some of the same things too as well. But I will say this: 
their and their playoff series one wasn't even as long as they are now today. Like every series now is seven games, and that's not necessarily the case in the '90s. You know, during that run, during their runs to the Chicago Bulls. So, you know, there's different factors to always consider when having that conversation about who's the best basketball player ever. You know. All right, we have a special guest, one of our own, one of our own from Stadium, Missouri grad. You want to tell them what, what? What do you want to tell them, Rizzo? What do you want to tell them? What do you want to tell the people about uh, yourself? Just, you know, you, you touched pro on gambler. Grad, uh, not quite a pro gambler, uh, but it is. That's basically the only thing I've got going for me now in quarantine is betting on Korean baseball, the horses, and now some stock market stuff. So. That's that's and watching the last dance, obviously, as we all are. That's basically been my last two and a half months in a nutshell. Uh, so without further ado, we would like to introduce to you all Mr. Michael Rizzo of Stadium, just like ourselves here to just chop it up with us as it relates to, you know, NBA, as of course. And the first thing that, you know, we talked about earlier, you know, is the throwback hoops. And so the modern era of 2000 to 2010, you know, the different positions and the different players that we admired, you know, throughout the course of that era. And for us, you know, we started out talking about, you know, the point guard position. And for Ben, you know, I told Ben, you know, I know him like, you know, the back of my hand, at least almost. <laughs> I'm starting to know him pretty well. A little too much, if you ask me. I'm not but the most I, complicated of person. Yeah, you know, he's not really too complicated. So I knew which <laughs> point guard he was going to pick Rizzo. And that guard was none other than back-to-back MVP, Steve Nash. <laughs> you know, I knew. And, and if you know me well, Mr. Rizzo, you know why I knew why I knew he was going to pick <laughs> Mr. Steve Nash. So, you know, back-to-back MVP, like I said, uh, led the league in assists multiple times, you know, just a phenomenal player. Just talk a little bit about Steve Nash and what you remember, Rizzo, you know, during his playing days. I mean, you you really can't go wrong with, picking him because he was awesome I just remember he was like the model of consistency to me he just you knew what you were getting from him night in and night out and whether it was with the Mavs to the Suns even when he went to the Lakers he was still a great point guard and like you said back-to-back MVPs that's no joke and I think that uh it's a very Ben pick you know (laughs) that is very fair and, but I mean, I, I, I would be lying if I said I didn't love Steve Nash as well. That's just, uh, that wouldn't, that wasn't my, at least in my head, my favorite 2000s, you know, turn of the century point guard. But uh, I guess for me, like Steve, yeah, he was phenomenal for sure. You know, he definitely had his swag, you know, he, the, the, his ability to keep the tempo going, you know, he was pushing it like he all seven seconds or less, you know, him and Dan Tony out in Phoenix, they were pushing the ball. You know, he made everything look easy for that, you know, Phoenix Suns offense and everything just messed, you know, like a well-oiled machine out there winning 60 plus games, going to the Western Conference finals, you know, during those runs with the Phoenix Suns. And like you mentioned, you even you mentioned it, Rizzo, the uh, Dallas Maverick days, you know, with, with Dirk Nowinski and, you know, those playoff runs too as well with the, the battles with the San Antonio Spurs, you know, in the playoffs. And so, yeah, him and, you know, Tony Parker versus Steve Nash and those, you know, those battles. So, yeah, without question, you know, it was just a phenomenal time to have Steve Nash in his league, particularly in those, you know, early 2000s for sure. Yeah, I mean, he was, he was, he was my goat for sure. <laughs> we had so we had Steve Nash, and then Zach did Chris Paul, 
So Rizzo, who's who's your guy? Uh, so mine, obviously not as great on the level of greatness as your guys are, but I mean, when it comes to polarizing and the highs were the highs and the lows were the lows, uh, I went with Gilbert Arenas. I loved Gilbert Arenas. He was, he was just, he was the man. He had that back in, you know, I, I feel like I could still see him dropping 60 in the gold jerseys on the Lakers, God. beating them in overtime. He had that stretch of buzzer beaters where he's hitting 30 footers, dropping 40 a night. He was just, he was, you know, a scoring point guard before we really had all of these scoring point guards that we Absolutely. see dominate the league now. He was Absolutely. averaging 21, 23, 25, and just doing it. And I, I loved Gilbert Arenas when he was, in his prime, however short it may have been. Yeah. Agent Zero. What do you think, Ben? How do you feel about Agent Zero? Because I got a way. I feel a way about Agent. That's my guy. I feel a way about Agent. How do you feel about Did you think about him when you were thinking about playing guards, Ben? I bet, I bet he didn't even cross your mind. No. I Listen, I've tried to repress Gilbert Arenas because he, <laughs> murdered, he murdered those mid-2000s Bulls. 2005, <laughs> 2004, 2006. That, that Washington team just was the bane of the Bulls' existence. So I have tried to repress my memory of Gilbert Arenas as much as possible because it's just it's just bad memories. Yeah, Hibachi was something else. Got his got his shoe deal in 2006 and did not look back. Literally, did not look back. Got his Adidas deal, didn't look back. And then, it, like you mentioned it, like the scoring machine that Gilbert Arenas was. It's like he was the scoring guard before scoring guards really existed, and he knew that. And that's what was so killer about Hibachi. Like he knew that his opponent was not a scoring guard, so he could have his way with him. And now you look at today's game, you better not slack or you will get your butt dropped off <laughs> in today's NBA if you're a point guard. You better bring it. You better bring your A game. And Hibachi did that every night. So I like that pick, Rizzo. Yeah, Riz, that's a good one. Hibachi, age zero, he was the man for sure. I For the longest time, I looked on any sketchy website I could find, a gold Gilbert Arenas jersey, and it was one of the – a gold Gilbert Arenas jersey, and then a red Brandon Roy Trailblazers. Those are the two jerseys I have not been able to find without having to pay full a arm and a price leg. for them. <laughs> so those those two are the ones I'm waiting to add to the collection. I, I still check every now and then, so so we'll see. We'll see. As much as I hated the Wizards, those those jerseys are probably one of the what, top five in the NBA of all time, along with like those Raptors purple ones. Those, I mean, who has gold jerseys now? I do like with, that gold with the jersey. with the black shorts. They were yeah, so I like, cold. I like, I, the love gold, that. I like the gold jersey. That's like the it was like an alternate jersey, the gold and black. Mm-hmm. I like that. I there you go. Like that. We'll have to have the jersey episode along with some of these other, fa- along with the fashion episode. Rizzo, we're gonna do a fashion NBA fashion episode mid two thousands with those long shorts. You know the big clothes. You know the big clothes. Allen Iverson coming in with the, with the five X tall T, and then Kobe Bryant coming with the with the Donovan McNabb uh, jersey on. With the, then he got the Michael Jordan. He got the Michael Jordan All Star Game jersey on. It's like all the way down to his knees. Yeah, we're gonna talk about it. <laughs> all right, so let's let's talk about uh, the documentary for a sec because you had a. Uh, you had a little tweet storm last night. You did a you did your top ten moments. You don't have to go through all of them, but just initially, what was what was stood out for you for the whole documentary for the past you know what was it five weeks that we've been watching? I think that the best 
part for me was, well, number one, because of quarantine, I was able, I'm living at home right now and I was able to watch it with my family and both my mom and my sister who obviously they're, they're Bulls fans, you know, if you ask them, but they may not have followed the, the team or anything. My sister much younger, my mother not necessarily as big into sports. Watching it with them and just like them watching MJ highlights and kind of just going like, whoa, like look at like he's hanging in the air for that long. Just it, it gave you like a, a new appreciation for it almost because I've seen so many of these highlights so many times. And then I think I have to give, you know, props to – the director, Jason Haher, and everyone who had, you know, anything to do with it, because they really did t- teach me a lot of stuff, being so young when it was all going on, all this stuff that I thought that I knew, and it just expanded on it, and I was able to learn so much more, and I think all in all, my favorite parts were just the little side stories that you got, not necessarily the big runs or anything, but the the Michael Jordan at his locker with a bat and a cigar, the the Dennis Rodman going to Vegas story, just the little side stories that you got that really put into perspective how much drama and turmoil were really going on with these teams, which almost made the the double three-peat that much more impressive. Yeah, you put uh, as for your number eight for top 10, and one of the things that stood out to me a ton was the soundtrack. I mean, they the music that they picked oh, yeah, for this was fire. like cinematic. Oh, wow. <laughs> the it music was, was awesome. Straight fire. LL Cool J. I remember like in the beginning, like the first like four episodes, when I heard LL Cool J like rock the bells or whatever, and like Mike was just killing it. it I was like, I got chills like so fast, man. Yeah, the soundtrack. I mean, that's the thing is it made it seem like super cinematic and really intense. And and the Michael Jordan highlights with some of this. I could have watched that for half an hour, an hour, two hours, forever, however long it was. Yeah, some of the some of the highlights that you see, man, it was just people were witnessing greatness like at the time. And we're so lucky to be able to have this documentary and, and see it all put together and the music playing on top of it. Yeah, that was uh, number eight on my list. And from the looks of like, you know, how many likes I'm getting per tweet. Maybe that one should have definitely been moved a little bit higher. <laughs> <on the list. laughs> That's a very good point. And you put your, so you put your number one was, and I think this was probably a lot of people's top moment of, of when Michael Jordan was talking about the price of winning and he got emotional about it. And I think it was a side that people hadn't really seen of MJ a lot, or if ever just him really getting emotional talking about, a being liked and B talking about maybe sacrificing his not his reputation, but being liked by the majority of his peers and family and friends just for winning championships. Yeah. I, I think that as soon as I saw that moment at the end of episode seven, I kind of, I was like, wow, that was my favorite moment so far. And a lot, like you said, a lot of other people were feeling the same way. And I, I had to put that number one. And I think, one thing this documentary showed us was not only was MJ just this stone cold killer in everything that he did, not just basketball, but he was, he was emotional about it. And he cares exactly. (laughs) And his teammates even said that, you know, everyone thought that he was this, you know, this jerk that didn't do anything and kept everything in. And, 
and he he kind of did, but when he had to let it out, man, he let it out and he he pulled the best out of his teammates. And maybe it was at the price of him being a nice guy. When they asked B.J. Armstrong, B.J. Armstrong was doing everything in his power to say he was a nice guy, and he couldn't because maybe MJ really wasn't. But that was his price of winning, and you can't argue with the results. <laughs> that's that's true. Yeah, that that moment for me, without question, gives me chills every time because it's like he's about to cry and you can see the tear like in his eyes as he's about to cry. So, you know, he cares. And like that's what's most important. Like he cared so much. Like Mike wanted to win so much because he cared so much. And when you care about something like the game of basketball, the way that Mike did, like it can only be one person like that. And that's him. And that's why. You know, that conversation is always going to be a conversation, but we all know who the GOAT is. <laughs> we all know who the GOAT is. But I guess another, as I was looking at your thread, for me, you had some silly ones in there, too. You know, that one was a more serious one, but you had this, some silly ones in there, too, like the, the mullet guy, you know, with the shrug. And that was, yeah, the mullet guy was so awesome. The, the, <laughs> the, that whole scene of MJ playing the getting the quarter as close as you can to the wall without hitting it and losing to the mullet guy with the double belt on <laughs> and then he hits MJ with his own shrug that was so funny I had to put that one on there and that just shows you like the competitive nature that he has all the time that Michael Jordan's gonna have all the time literally betting a quarter game with security guards, your bodyguards, <laughs> the guys that you trust with your life, you sit here gambling with these guys during taking their right money before games. Take your yeah, right before a money. game. And then I saw the, the a joke on Twitter I saw was like, "Rest in peace to whoever had to guard MJ that night." All because of, <laughs> all because a mullet guy taking his money before the game. <laughs> oh no! That, you know, you know, you know. A moment for me. A moment for me is Dennis Johnson. <laughs> and it ain't got nothing to do with Dennis Johnson, but he had to suffer for it. And that's an er, that's earlier in the uh, in the docu series when Mike has to he plays Danny Ainge in golf and loses. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and then Mike's telling him like, okay, just have Dennis Johnson ready. Yeah, tomorrow. he said, hey, make sure, make sure your boy's ready tomorrow. Tell your boy I'm coming tomorrow. <laughs> that just sucks so bad for Dennis Johnson to get sixty dropped on him. <laughs> Yep, yep, that's the 63, and they still, didn't they still lose, though? 63, and they still lose. Yeah, they still, yep. Uh, but that was a different Celtics team, obviously, and that was before the, the Bulls were really ready to go. What was your reaction to Gary Payton, to Mike's, well, Mike's reaction to Gary Payton? What was your reaction to Mike's reaction to Gary Payton? I, as as a lifelong Bulls fan, like, I got pride out of it. Like, I was like, oh, let's go. Like, MJ laughing at this guy saying he could guard him. But at the same time, that's Gary Payton, man. He, yeah, he never backed go. down from anyone. And he, he rang true. He could have easily been like, man, you know, MJ was MJ. We did our best. But he wasn't. He said, I wish I could have guarded him that way sooner. I tired <laughs> him down. I tired him down. And. It was a little disrespectful of MJ, but I mean, that's who they both are. MJ's the GOAT because of the way he is. Gary Payton was great at what he did because of who he was. And that's just, that was the exact interaction you would get between the two of them. I wish we could see a Gary Payton response, but it's not <laughs> the one getting the 10-part documentary made about him, you know? That's true. 
That's very true. And I mean, when you look at the when you look at the whole thing as a whole, the last five weeks of of watching everything about the '90s Bulls, what's just kind of your final reaction? Everything that you saw, did you learn anything, or did you just kind of see stuff that you mostly knew about? You just expanded what you knew, or was like, what was your just initial final reaction? I, I think as many people our age had, my my first thoughts were like, man, I wish I would have been just a little bit older so that I could have been, you know, witnessing all this firsthand. I'm, I'm very lucky that a lot of my prime teenage years were great Derrick Rose. Cause I love Derrick Rose, but I mean, could you imagine if that, if I was 14, 15, 16 for prime Michael Jordan, that was kind of the, the thing I wish I would have been uh, around for more. And then as far as learning stuff, I think I really did learn a, a lot watching this and hearing all this. I, I didn't realize how much drama there really was and all the different things going on here and there. It, even uh, episode nine yesterday, that, that the, the long stretch, exactly, we got about Steve Kerr and his story. I really didn't know much of that at all. So that was all new for me and it. It gave me a, an, as much as I already liked Steve Kerr, it gave me an even new, newer found respect for him. So I thought that was really well put together as well. How about you guys? Yeah, no, I thought so too. It was just, it was fun to at least, first of all, watch sports and during this quarantine time. But just, I think, you know, like you said, seeing, seeing some of these new stories going on and, and kind of seeing it play out like a dramatic piece of five weeks where you know what's going to happen, but you also don't really know the insides of how it happened. And, and seeing Michael Jordan and Gary Payton still and Isaiah Thomas still clearly pissed off about things that happened 30 years ago, <laughs> 25 years ago, I think is absolutely hilarious. And it was entertaining and something to do on a Sunday night. So it worked out. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah for me, I mean, it just it just gave me this one conclusion. You know, Mike's the greatest of all time. Well, LeBron is the greatest basketball player I ever seen play basketball. Like that's what that's you. That's what this docuseries really did for me. Like, Mike is, man, it ain't even close no more. Like, this dude is literally, like, insane. Like, he will, he's literally, like, insane at the cost of winning. Like, and he will be disrespectful to you on the team. Like, Jay Cross, F you, you don't really matter. Like, <laughs> like we're the ones putting, and that's why I love to have a new appreciation for Mike, because Mike made it known that, like, we're putting the blood and sweat and tears in this on the basketball court. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you guys may be in the front office doing everything you can to keep everything going. However, we're putting the grind and actual commitment to this on the hardwood night in and night out throughout every practice, throughout every game, throughout every playoff game leading up to all these finals runs. So like, he made a point of emphasis on that very early in the documentary. And I thought that that was very important to establish early, too, because like, they had to know that everyone had to know that, that like for offices can really deter a team. And you see that now, 20 years later with the Chicago Bulls, I seen a tweet, my friend tweeted it. I couldn't help but laugh. They are, it's been 20 some odd years and the Bulls are still in rebuild mode. <laughs> I, I will to add to that. My, uh, <laughs> my father at the end of that documentary, when it came up and it said 22 years, my dad said something along the lines of, and they've sucked ever since. And I was, <laughs> I was gonna like quote him and put it on my Twitter, but I, I felt like, you know, there were a, a couple of those D Rose teams were, yeah, good, no, exactly. I, yeah, you exactly. know, so I didn't want to, I didn't want to completely <laughs> drag them, 
But the truth is, man, they really, until you get another even finals appearance, you really are still rebuilding. And that's, that's the truth. I, I will say one other thing that I really liked about the documentary that's kind of an outside factor was the, the Twitter effect, kind of everyone coming together Sunday night watching it like i know a couple episodes got leaked it didn't seem like a lot of people were really trying to watch the leaks they they wanted to watch it live Bye. with everyone yeah. else and react on twitter and you know reading other people's thoughts and and i thought that was really a, a fun aspect of it all as well yeah i missed that we haven't had that since i guess since sports have gone since like the super bowl but even like that was like game of thrones level where people were just all talking about the same thing all at once at the same time absolutely well, Rizzo, appreciate you coming on. Thank you for having me, boys. It's, you know, I always like listening to Points in the Paint, and you, uh, thank you very much for uh, having me on. Of course, Rizzo. You know, anytime nice we can have a guy like you, yeah, you know, anytime we have a guy like you on, it'll be, it'll be good for the numbers. <laughs> <laughs> Purely numbers decision here. Yeah, me and my 700 Twitter followers, we're coming, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Big storm. Zach, you can take us out. I most certainly will. And that will conclude this edition of the Points in the Paint podcast. Me, Zach B. With Ben Wittenstein, of course. Make sure you follow us both on Twitter. Make sure you follow Shams on Twitter, of course, for your latest news and updates as it relates to the NBA. And make sure, of course, you catch Trash and Treasure with Amina and Felder. They come out every week. And they'll be coming out this week, uh, every Thursday. And that's it. That wraps up this edition of Points in the Paint. And we'll talk to you guys next time. Yeah.